Welcome back to All Things Mysterious, where we talk about true crime, supernatural, and all things mysterious. I'm Matt. And I'm Jordan. Let's get into it. Jordan, what would you say if I told you that there was a female serial killer who is linked to over 40 cases and has never been caught? I'd ask you if you thought she was a Pisces. Probably. 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 But here's the interesting part about this. This all happened in 1993 to 2009. So relatively Recent. Yeah, that's recent. Today we're going to talk about the Phantom of Heel Round, also known as the Woman Without a Face. It was it was a perplexing case in forensic history. This case, which spanned from 1993 to 2009, involved the hunt for a female serial killer believed to be responsible for a series of crimes across Germany, Austria, and France. I like it, a female serial killer. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really don't want to idolize serial killers, but they're always men. And like... I don't know, this woman, she... I'm just saying, like, when we get mad, we get mad. So, let's go, let's start from the beginning. So the Phantom of Hillbrown's existence emerged not as a tangible suspect initially, but as a shadowy figure deduced for forensic evidence. The enigmatic presence was first noticed when investigators working on various criminal cases observed a peculiar pattern. They discovered that the same female DNA was constantly present at a wide array of crime scenes. It's because we shed hair all the time, man. You can't get around the hair. These crime scenes, uh, these crime scenes involve or involved a diverse range of criminal activities, including serious offenses like murder three times, as well as burglaries, car thefts, overdoses, and even rapes. Oh dang! Like she be doing all the things. So all the things. She's like, I'm gonna test all the things out. Technically, calling her a serial killer is accurate but it doesn't tell the whole picture because there's only three cases linked as far as murder there's one that's possible it could be a murder by overdose mm. um but most of them are like burglary burglaries i can't say that word Burries? yeah there you go i don't know how i could say like some of these words but then like simple words are just it's okay you heard me a little uh, bit today yeah. so what's but the one thing that ties all these cases together, DNA. So this recurrent DNA evidence quickly escalated from being a curious anomaly to a central element in the investigation. Forensic experts were initially baffled by how one individual could be connected to such a, dis a disparate array of crimes, both in nature and geography. The crimes occurred in different cities, neighborhoods, some being petty thefts, while others were more grave and violent crimes, such as a brutal killing of a policewoman in Heilbronn in 2007, where they got her, that's when they finally gave her the name, the Phantom of Heilbronn. 
Uh, honestly, it tracks. Yeah. And when she killed the police off the police woman, she also injured her partner because they were sitting in a car together. Someone came up, shot him, killed the police woman. The other one survived. Okay. Uh, so the DNA meticulously collected from different crime scenes was subject to thorough analysis and reanalysis. Each time the results confirmed that it belonged to the same unknown female. This led to the hypothesis of a highly elusive and mobile female criminal who was dubbed the Phantom of Heilbronn. The, the hypothesis was bolstered by the understanding at the time of a near infallibility of DNA evidence in criminal investigations. DNA profile was heralded as a revolutionary tool in criminology capable of pinpointing sus suspects with astonishing accuracy. That's true, because back then, DNA was still relatively a new thing. Yeah. And it was like, ah, is it really that accurate? Is it really... Yeah, because that precise, like, can it really be trusted? And now we're like, they have DNA. It must. So the the very first case that they linked was in 1993. A like 72 year old woman was murdered, strangled by a piece of metal that was originally around some flowers that was next to her body. Uh, they didn't test that DNA until 2001, and that's when they started kind of linking all these things together. Is after DNA evidence, you know testing became standard a lot of these cases you know different jurisdictions different countries in some instances and they started linking these and you know testing the dna that they had and it just started matching all these together 2007 when the police officer was killed was when they really started you know they put a task force together and what really started going after this person um so the Phantom's DNA became a crucial lead in the investigation. It was seen as the key to unlocking the identity of the seemingly omnipresent and versatile criminal. The law enforcement agencies believed they were dealing with a new kind of serial offender, one who left a trail of DNA but otherwise managed to evade all other forms of detection. The mysterious figure quickly became the subject of intense manhunt efforts and widespread media attention, sparking intrigue and fear across the region. So now we're going to get more into, we'll go into more into the crimes. So the scope and diversity of the crimes attributed to the Phantom of Hillbrown were nothing short of astounding, contributing significantly to the mystique and complexity of the case. Over 40 crimes spread across a wide geographic area, including Germany, Austria, and France, were linked through the DNA evidence. So some of these were minor thefts and burglaries. A significant portion of the crimes involved petty thefts, burglaries. These incidents through, though minor in isolation, demonstrated a pattern of consistent criminal behavior. The DNA was found on items such as stolen food, used utensils, and even at break-in sites, suggesting the phantom's involvement in everyday criminal activities. Car thefts. There were several instances where the phantom's DNA was discovered in stolen vehicles, this not only showed the propensity for more significant criminal endeavors, but also suggested a level of mobility that made the Phantom's activities more unpredictable and widespread. Drug-related crimes. Lord, she's just like all out there doing all the things. Oh, we're not even close. I'm not sure, but like, I'm just like... So some of the linked crimes included drug trafficking and usage. The presence of the Phantom's DNA in these scenes added another layer to her profile. Uh, 
violent crimes and murders. Among the most alarming of the linked crimes were instances of violent acts and murders. The most notable was the you know, murder of the police officer in 2007. The brutal, this brutal crime marked a significant escalation in the severity of the offenses associated with the Phantom. The DNA found at this murder scene was one of the key pieces of evidence that intensified the manhunt and heightened the public's fear and interest in the case. Cross-border crimes. The range of crimes was not confined to a single region or country. The DNA linked the Phantom to criminal activities across national borders, underscoring her as a formidable and elusive figure in the European criminal landscape. Essentially just, you know. Right. So, out of all those crimes, 40 cases were linked to her specifically for DNA. So, the massive manhunt. This is when everything started really picking up. Lots of police officers, lots of police forces, lots of money put into this. So, the search for the Phantom of Hillbrown evolved into one of the most massive and intensive manhunts in European criminal history, involving a significant mobilization of law enforcement resources across multiple countries. I'm sure they were like, no, no, we, we gotta find this crazy lady. Like, she's doing some crazy shit. Like, what the heck is happening? Given the cross border nature of the crimes, law enforcement agencies from Germany, Austria, and France collaborated closely. This international effort was crucial as the Phantom's DNA has been found in all three countries. So forensic science played a central role in the manhunt. Advanced DNA analysis techniques were employed to scrutinize the evidence collected from the crime scenes. Laboratories in different countries worked tirelessly to process and re-verify the DNA samples, ensuring the link to the Phantom was accurate. So in actuality, this case basically made DNA, you know, profile and like advance more and, you know, look for better ways to do it because they wanted to make sure that this was, all the evidence was airtight, solid. Once they had a suspect, they'd be able to try her and like, yeah. There's nothing that could be gone back against and been like, well, this one that you found, yeah. I don't know about that one. They re-verify re that even uh, all the DNA samples were tested in different laboratories and even different countries. Do you know if it was all the same kind of DNA? Was it hair? Was it, do we know? No. No. I just feel like it was hair because of the amount of hair that we shed, but that's just me. It was collected from cotton swabs, so it was like skin, hair. bodily fluids, stuff like that. I just felt like it was hair because I know I personally just shed all the time, mm. so I could never commit a crime with my hair. Nope. DNA swaps, so bodily fluids, skin right. cells. Wow. So, this case garnered significant... The case garnered significant media attention and the public was enlisted in the search. Law enforcement agencies issued appeals for information and released details of the crimes linked to the Phantom. This widespread media coverage led to a heightened public awareness and involvement with numerous tips and leads being reported. Several or special task force were set up to focus exclusively on tracking down the Phantom. These teams analyzed the pattern of the crimes, looking for any possible leads or connections that could help identify the suspect. The police conducted extensive interviews and investigations delving into the backgrounds of victims and witnesses and exploring potential connections or motives. 
The manhunt required significant financial and human resources. Governments allocated substantial budgets to fund the investigation, acknowledging in the severity and complexity of the case. Hundreds of police officers and detectives were involved, dedicating countless hours to the search of the Phantom. Despite these efforts, the manhunt faced numerous challenges. The elusive nature of the Phantom, coupled with the diverse range of crimes, made it difficult to establish a clear profile or predict where she might strike next. The lack of any concrete leads or eyewitnesses led to the frustrations of the investigators. The intensity of the manhunt and the elusive nature of the suspect led to a reevaluation of law enforcement practices, particularly in the realm of forensic sciences. It highlighted the need for a meticulousness in evidence collection and the importance of considering alternative explanations for forensic, forensic evidence. So the most interesting part about this is some law enforcement agencies literally changed the, their procedures because of this case. Because they felt like they weren't doing a good job, their detectives weren't, you know, they were kind of too strict, you know, they wanted to follow the evidence, but they didn't really want to, like, think outside the box, basically. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, and there was obviously a lot of you know, a lot of public pressure on these cops to figure out who this is because up until this, like, the only piece of evidence was the DNA. There was no witnesses, even in cases where, like, the police officer who survived never saw a female. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they were, in pretty much all these cases, there was never any witness that ever saw a female there. And just think about, like, honestly, how smooth you have to be for that to happen. Like, how good this woman must have been yeah. being a criminal. Oh, yeah. For that to happen. Exactly. So, let, let's kind of talk about the forensics that they used at the time. So, DNA profile. At the heart of the investigation was DNA, DNA profile, a process where scientists analyzed genetic material from cells found at a crime scene to create a unique DNA profile. This profile then can be compared to DNA from suspects or databases. In the Phantom's case, DNA found at various crime scenes were meticulously analyzed and repeatedly matched to the same unknown female, suggesting a single perpetrator. During the time of the Phantom's investigation, DNA technology was experiencing significant advancements. These improvements allowed for the analysis of even the smallest biological samples, lead into its widespread adoption in forensic investigations, the Phantom case was viewed as a prime example of how this technology could be utilized in linking a series of crimes to a single individual. The collection of DNA evidence from crime scenes was a critical aspect of the investigation. Forensic teams carefully gathered biological samples from various scenes, including blood, skin, cells, and other bodily fluid, ensuring that they had material needed for DNA profiles. Honestly, good on them for actually being thorough. Oh, yeah. Because there's so much that could have been done improperly, and they could have completely missed that. And there's so many places here that would have just been like, nah, missed it. Hold on to that thought for a second. So the collected DNA profiles were cross-referenced with multiple criminal databases across multiple countries. This was done in the hope of finding a match with the existing profiles which could, lead, could then lead to identification of the suspect. The lack of a match in this case added to the mystery and suggested that the Phantom was either new to a crime, new to crime or extremely careful and avoiding previous capture. 
and forensic science, maintaining a strict chain of custody and preventing contamination are critical. The Phantom case initially seemed to reinforce the importance of these practices as the consistent appearance of the same DNA profile suggested a serial offender. The Phantom case also brought to light the challenges and limitations of relying solely on DNA evidence. While DNA profile is a powerful tool, the case demonstrated that it is not infallible and must be used in conjunction with other investigative methods. The misinterpretation of DNA evidence could lead to one of the most expensive and fruitless investigations ever. It's true. It's just circumstantial, technically. The only evidence. Literally the only evidence. So let's, let's, let's go to 2009. Two years after this in huge, multi-agency, very expensive investigation began. So what would you say if I told you that the Phantom didn't exist? Did they do a massive glitch? No. So... The critical turning point came when investigators in a routine quality control procedure tested the DNA swabs themselves before they were used at crime scenes. To their astonishment, they detected the presence of DNA on the unused swabs. This DNA matched the profile of the elusive phantom, leading to the start of the realization that the DNA found at the crime scenes might not be the sus from the suspect, but from contamination. Oh no. Oh God. Well, that tracks. Makes a whole lot of sense, actually. I, I just love it. Just the look on your face as soon as you realize. It tracks. It makes perfect sense. I was like, you were all into this the whole time. and then... Man, I was over here like, dude, this one's a badass. So. Further investigation traced the source of the contamination back to a woman working in a factory in Bavaria where the cotton squads used for collecting forensic samples were produced. This worker involved in the packaging of these swabs had inadvertently transferred her DNA onto the swabs, which were then used in numerous crime scene investigations. Oh, she's so fired. <laughs> so fired. Yeah, that... I mean, this is probably hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of dollars spent between all these investigations. got to be millions. Think about how many countries were involved, how many individuals were involved, how many different organizations. And how many man hours that were put into this. Um, so... And, you know, they actually pay people, like, living wages over there, so, like... Yeah. The fact that it took them two years to figure this out is kind of bad, too. Oh, my God. So... Can you imagine... Can you imagine being that person? Oh my God. Ma'am, your DNA is linked to over 40 crimes over three countries. Oh my God. The shame and the embarrassment. Not for her. I, I mean, I don't blame her. I blame the police. And the, I blame the, them too, but then to publicly be known for the rest of your life as the person who contaminated all of those cotton swabs. Which is why, from what I can tell, they never actually released her name. Good. But, like, 
you know there's people that work with her that are like, yeah, you know, Susie and right. we used to work with, she's the... Jordan did it. It was not me. I've never worked at a cotton pop. <laughs> so this revolution, of rev- revelation... You can handle that. This... Oh, I know. This revelation was groundbreaking. It meant that the DNA evidence, which had been the cornerstone of the investigation for years, was not a clue leading to a prolific criminal, but rather of an artifact of contaminated forensic supplies. The phantom criminal, believed to be connected to over 40 crimes, did not actually exist. Could you imagine all of those hours of labor just to be like, wow, we have nothing. Yeah, so the case prompted a reevaluation of practices in forensic sciences, particularly concerning the pre- prevention of contamination. It highlighted the crucial importance of ensuring that all materials used in the collection of forensic evidence are sterile and free from DNA contamination. This incident led to changes in manufacturing and packaging processes for forensic collection kits and reinforced the need for rigorous quality control measures. Because... This had far-reaching implications, not just in police investigations, but in trials. I'm sure it probably did, because now people people can be like, mm-hmm. but that's not my DNA. So, the revolution had significant public and legal ramifications. It raised questions about the reliability of DNA evidence and impacted the public's trust in forensic science. For law enforcement, it was a sobering reminder of the infallibility of even the most trusted scientific methods. The twist led to the review of numerous cases where this DNA evidence had been pivotal. It raised concerns about wrongful convictions and the potential for miscarriages of justice due to contaminated evidence. I wonder if any cotton swab factory workers got arrested. (laughs) That's not funny. I mean, they might have at this point. <laughs> so, I don't know. The Phantom Kit. It's honestly this case, like, as I read it and then read it, and I was so intrigued, and then the, just that twist. Oh, you saw the realization hit my face. Yes. And I was thinking, like, usually people stick to, like, one area of crime, but I'm sitting over here like, God dang, this is literally everywhere. And I'm just like, usually people stick to one, but, like, she's just testing everything out. Like, okay, do your drug thing. Do your rave thing. You know what's interesting? Everything thing. You know, there's probably one young detective who, like, saw these cases connecting. He's like, this has got to be the same person. And older cops were like, no, there's no way. Right. And you know he spent all this time convincing him that it is. He did, and then all the DNA collected. He was like, yeah. Two years later, they find out that it's a condition. Shot. I, I don't know if that's how this actually played out, but I just want to believe that it is. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like it was. There's got to be one. <laughs> he's got to be like that. I don't know. Have you ever seen Brooklyn? You've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. I feel like he's like the the Charles Charles Boyles of that place. It's got to be connected. It's got to be connected, everybody. It's got to be connected, you guys. It's like when Peralta was trying to connect all those cult car thefts yeah. <laughs> to the Phantom. Yeah. 
Oh, God. So, um, the Phantom case became a key study in forensic science education, emphasizing the importance of contamination control. It served as a cautionary tale demonstrating that even a small oversight in the forensic process could have far-reaching consequences. And it did. It, it changed a lot of things, a lot of procedures. Um, there's been you know, a lot more safeguards put in place to prevent stuff like this. Uh, only a few factories are authorized to make these you know, swaths and stuff that for forensic kits. And that makes sense. And they're very, very, very highly regulated. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of good came from this case. But I don't think it's worth the millions of dollars that they paid for it. Probably not. And oh my god, that would be just horrifying. And it's not like, I mean, technically they didn't do anything wrong. They followed the DNA. But they probably should have stopped and taken a bigger look at it. So, prior to this case, the risk of DNA contamination was known but perhaps not fully appreciated in its potential to completely derail an investigation. This instant incident starkly highlighted how contamination can occur and the significant impact it can have lead into a reevaluation of the risk at every stage of the forensic process. So in the aftermath of the phantom case. Sweet. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things were tested multiple times to ensure that it was accurate, which Technically, it was accurate because there was DNA on the swabs. It just wasn't DNA that was collected. <laughs> uh, it was her DNA again, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Which makes me wonder what she was doing with these swabs. Joe, boy. I mean, I get... The I, actual... I want to know what the chances are of that happening. Like, exactly how many did that one person handle? All of them? I mean... Yeah. My guess is that she somehow touched it and maybe she touched the cotton swab part on accident and then like when she was packaging them or something. She had to be the person who like packaged them. Yeah, but, I mean, that's what she was. She was the one who packaged them. Because I guess that was before they did the, you know, automatic machines and so they were packaged by hand. Which seems to me like that should have been like Clue number one that maybe we shouldn't have somebody being you know touching these things. Yes, with DNA. Yeah. Um. So in the aftermath of the Phantom case, forensic laboratories and law enforcement agencies implemented stricter controls and procedures for handling forensic materials. This included enhanced protocols for the manufacturing, packaging, and handling of DNA collection kits. Many agencies introduced new guidelines for collecting and storing samples to minimize the risk of contamination. Which is actually impressive because the contamination necessarily wasn't on their part. Like, these swabs were definitely beforehand. 100% sure it was not. But that's what one good thing about it is they realize that if this could happen on the factory level, this could happen in their level too. So they did take, you know, they did implement a lot of stuff that maybe necessarily wasn't, you know, a direct result of this case but it was stuff that they realized yeah it would have happened eventually so i mean it's good that they got you know humans are generally reactionary not precautionary and especially when it comes to stuff like this and money and government and move especially after they spent all that money like most of the time people are gonna be like let's not spend more but instead they were like no 
or learn from this. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, look at the United States. I mean, we knew that the airline industry was vulnerable. We just knew that it was going to cost money, so we didn't do anything about it. Then 9-11 happened, and then all of a sudden they found the money to be able to do it. Crazy how that works. Yeah. Um, so the case underscored the need for rigorous quality assurance in forensic laboratories. This led to more stringent testing of forensic equipment and supplies before they were dispatched to crime scenes or used in the analysis. Regular audits and checks became a standard part of the forensic procedure, which is good. Uh, there was also a renewed emphasis on training law enforcement and forensic personnel in the proper techniques for collecting and preserving DNA evidence. Awareness programs were introduced to educate those professionals about the potential sources of contamination and the importance of maintaining a sterile environment. Which is good. Yeah. So the Phantom case prompted law enforcement agencies to review past cases where convictions were heavily reliant on DNA evidence. This introspection was necessary to ensure that no miscarriages of justice occurred due to similar contamination issues. Uh, the case spurred further research into forensic methodologies, particularly in the field of DNA analysis. Scientists and researchers began exploring new techniques and technologies to enhance the accuracy and reliability of DNA evidence, reducing the risk of false positives due to contamination. So the legal community was also affected as this case highlighted the fallibility of forensic evidence traditionally considered as irrefutable. It led to greater scrutiny of forensic evidence in courtrooms with defense lawyers more frequently challenging the integrity of handling of such evidence. So the Phantom case became the topic of international discussion and cooperation. Forensic experts and law enforcement agencies around the world shared insights and best practices to improve the handling of DNA evidence. This global dialogue helped in standardizing forensic procedures across different jurisdictions. So not all bad. I mean, there's a lot of the good that came from it. A lot of good came from it, but dear God. Now let, let's go back a little bit. Let's kind of... Okay. We're, we were kind of looking at the big picture of this thing. Okay. But now let's kind of look at what closing the case actually meant for all these victims. and. Well, yeah. I mean, did they ever actually figure out what happened to all those poor individual people? So I am sad to say that... Quote, unquote, was all they had in those individual cases. A lot of the cases still remain unsolved. Oh, well, that sucks. Uh, some were so solved eventually once they kind of reset and re decided oh surprise the dna isn't it and some of these cases there were actually suspects before they you know linked it to the phantom uh and in some cases there were, had been arrests made you know so it's not all bad but yeah there's a lot of cases that are still unsolved uh the immediate aftermath of the discovery involved a thorough re-examination of all the cases previously linked to the phantom this was a monumental task as over 40 crimes across multiple jurisdictions have been attributed to the single source of DNA. Each case had to be individually reviewed to separate the facts of the actual crime from the misleading evidence introduced by the contaminated DNA. Oh my god, DNA. so much extra. I mean, it makes sense, but yeah. because yeah, They couldn't just say automatically that there was no serial killer or these cases weren't linked. Well, yeah. They had to go through every individual but case. It was the factory leads. <laughs> yeah. So the that was just her 
side out. Like, what if she was just like, no, it's just a mistake. I work at this cotton swamp factory. Surprisingly, at no point was that that lady ever actually a suspect. You know, once they found out that she worked in the factory. But it would have been a lot more, a lot better if she was. I mean, honestly, like, that would be... That would be a good backstory, honestly. It really would be a great backstory if you think about it. Like, no, there just must have been Mm cross-contamination. So the intense multi-country manhunt for the non-existent phantom... I'll never ride it. My ADHD would never. But not... Before the non-existent phantom was officially called off. <laughs> this decision was both a relief as it ended the futile search for a ghost and a challenge as it meant that the real perpetrators of these crimes were still at large and unidentified. Law enforcement agencies forced or faced the daunting task of acknowledging their error both internally and publicly. This involved not only a logistical rollback of the investigation, but also a real rebuilding of public trust as the revelation of the contamination had raised concerns about the reliability of forensic investigation. So with the dismissal of the phantom as a suspect, the focus shifted back to square one in many of these cases. Investigators now had to rely on other forms of evidence and traditional detective work, such as eyewitness accounts, physical clues at the crime scenes, and motive-based investigations to identify the real culprits. Which is really kind of what they should probably have started with in the first place, but okay. So, for the legal system, this case presented a challenge. Any convictions or legal proceedings that had been influenced by the contaminated DNA evidence had to be reevaluated. In some cases, this led to the reopening of cases, appeals, and even the overturning of convictions where the DNA evidence was a critical factor. Yeah. So, the closure of this case, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I will say, at least in these instances, and maybe it's the fact that these countries learn from their mistakes better than we do, but, you know, because we, we know there's been people convicted falsely. Oh, yeah. And it's like, here, it's like, it's pulling teeth trying to get anything freaking done. Like, there's people who have been proven innocent by DNA evidence years later. Yeah, and then there's people that are on the opposite spectrum that we know are so guilty, Mm. and people are like, he got a good lawyer, though. But it's like, you know, there's been especially a lot of, like, really high-profile cases lately that, like, we know, based on DNA, that these people are innocent. Yep. But they still won't let them out of prison because they don't want to admit that. And it's just like, You'd rather let a person sit in prison that's innocent. That's time you physically cannot get back. I mean, because, and, you know, it's a lot of, like, these older, like, prosecutors who just don't want their record to be tarnished. I mean, that's all they care about. But it's like, you hoping and praying that this person is guilty, even though he's not, is not going to actually make him guilty. No, and it should make you want to get the person who is guilty. No. They should, and then that's what I'm saying, like... Like, you were wrong. Okay, well, set the record straight. Go find the person who actually yeah. did it. I mean, I get it. You you were basing it on DNA evidence, or you were basing it on eyewitness accounts, which, by the way, eyewitness accounts are... Notoriously inaccurate. Yeah. I, I Any case that is tried as I, with eyewitness accounts shouldn't be tried, just because 
they're so you know they're horrible uh but it's also not saying that dna and other forms of forensic evidence aren't necessarily fully reliable either but it's yeah oh definitely but like these people actually learn from their mistakes i know i don't even know what to do with that like they publicly acknowledge it they didn't try to hide it they didn't you know if this, this happened here that they every freaking government officials yeah they would hide it weather balloon <laughs> yes <laughs> oh. that's exactly what happened. oh yeah so basically they had to continue you know they separated the cases and had to treat them as individual cases in the end none of the cases were actually linked <laughs> so it was just basically 40 individual cases which basically quadrupled every detective's workload at that point sure it did but you so. know what at least a couple of them got solved oh yeah so the phantom of Heelbarn case stands as a cautionary tale in criminal investigations emphasizing the need of meticulous handling and processing of forensic evidence it also serves as a reminder of the limitations of potential fallibilities in forensic scientists and it also shows that you need to admit that you can you made a mistake. It's not going to make you any less of a person. And any prosecutor or judge who's listening to this from the United States, this is for you. It's okay. You can make a mistake. You are not, you are human. It is more important to find the person who is actually guilty of the crime. I'm sorry, before I was reading, watching TikToks about you know, people who are still in jail for crimes they didn't commit. It's true, though. Like, it's so much more important to find the person who's actually guilty of the crime. Oh, I know. Because they're probably still out there. Like, what more crimes are they committing? It's like, my my thing is, like, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but it's kind of connected in, in a way. But, you know, it, it sucks that they're still in jail for a crime. That, I mean, I don't want to dismiss that in any way, shape, or form. But it's just the freaking like to me the the slap in the face is like these prosecutors who will be interviewed, you know, showing, hey, there's DNA evidence that says that this person is not connected to this crime. Well, we think he's still connected, so we're gonna leave him there because we are right and that DNA is wrong. Or, you know, they don't actually say that, but that's basically what they're saying. They're saying they're smarter, you know, they didn't make a mistake. And it's just like, like, isn't that the first thing you learn as a kid that you're supposed to admit when you make a mistake? One of the first things, yeah. But then these people just hear it. Anyway, that was my little tangent soapbox moment of the day, but. I just want to thank everybody for listening. Please like, follow, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really helps us out. All of our links will be in the description below. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll keep you guessing.